Well, if you've, <clears throat> if you've ever read the, the New Testament or if you've ever read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, you'll often see Jesus use phrases like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And when Jesus says that, he's about to blow your mind. He's about to say something and cause you to look at something a different way than you ever have before. Why? Because he comes from heaven and he speaks about things that we don't understand. He also uses the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. So whenever Jesus says truly, truly, whenever he says it twice, typically what's going to follow is something that we really need to pay attention to, like because we don't pay attention to it. Like if he says truly, truly, Open your eyes, get out your pen, take some notes, and take that to the bank. Because he's about to give you something that you need to know that you don't know. Jesus also would say, the kingdom of God is like. And he would have to say it so often because we are so consumed with the things of this world. He would say it all the time. And what he's doing is he's taking your eyes that are looked down here, down like this, down like this. And he's saying, look up and see the kingdom of God. It's different than what we are used to. It's different than the way the world operates. It is simply put different. During this series, we've looked at the elements of the life of a Christ follower. We've looked at scripture We've looked at prayer, we've looked at together and community, we've looked at walking in the spirit. All of these things go against our natural tendencies, the world's philosophies, and what we normally and naturally desire. The kingdom takes up space and it begins to give us new ways of living. You and I would rather live on our own words. It's why we don't look at the scripture. You and I would rather rely on our own strength. It's why we don't pray. You and I would rather go it alone. It's why we're not convinced of our need for community in the church. You and I would rather not be controlled, even by the Holy Spirit. We would rather have control. So if you can see why Jesus would have to say, you've heard it said, truly, truly, the kingdom of God is like, it's because we are so set in another world's ways. We just are. That's our natural. But when Jesus shows up, he says, it's gonna be different. For the disciple, the learner of Christ, the disciple says to Jesus, even when things get hard. I don't know if you remember when the disciples were with Jesus and there were a whole bunch of people hanging out with Jesus and then Jesus started talking about if you're going to be my follower, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And people are like, what? Hold up. This is too much. This is too hard. We're, we don't do that around here. <laughs> and they left. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you guys going to go too? And what does Peter say? He says, we, where else would we go, Lord? You alone Hold the words of eternal life. This is ultimately where a disciple finds their position. Where else would we go, Lord? We've seen it. We've walked it. We've abused it. It's abused us. We can't do this world anymore. You alone hold the words of eternal life. Where else 
would we go? I have prayed that this series would be a fresh reminder for those of you who have been in the game a long time. Because you and I can cause these things brought to us from heaven by Jesus, we can see these things as rote. And if we're seeing these things as rote, it's not God's problem, it's ours. But I've also prayed that this series would be an opportunity for those of you who are still considering this Jesus. We ask you to consider him every week. We ask you to look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What do you say of him? And will you respond to him? I've prayed that this series would be a a way for you, as we all need to, to look through cultural Christianity, nominal Christianity, even fake Christianity to truly say, what is it that a follower of Jesus looks like? Because what you answer, how you answer that question makes a world of difference. Today, as we've mentioned, Jesus again is going to flip our idea of greatness upside down. Our idea of leadership upside down. The follower of Jesus will be a servant. But first... A poem. There's a clever young guy named somebody else. There's nothing this guy can't do. He's busy from morning till way late at night, just substituting for you. You're asked to do this or you're asked to do that. And what is your ready reply? Get somebody else to do that job. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do in this weary old world, so much in workers, so few, and somebody else, all weary and worn, is still substituting for you. Do you know this person? Do you know this person named somebody else? Unfortunately, many of us do. The reason we know somebody else so well is because we have a broken view a broken model of greatness. Um, I, I can't remember, it was a few years ago, but there was this song that came out, it was called Hall of Fame. Like, and you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, you're living in the Hall of Fame. I don't even know all the words, but I just remember him saying, you can be like King Kong banging on your chest or something like that. And then you can talk to God and go bang on his door. Like this was the content of this song. It was your greatness the world is gonna know about because you live in the Hall of Fame. Like you're in the Hall of Fame. It is going to be your name that the world knows. Um, Several years ago, PlayStation started this campaign. And those of you who are gamers, you know where I'm headed with this. The first commercial they showed for this campaign was this dude in a car putting some driving gloves on and the camera pans around to his face and he looks right in the camera and he says, who are you not to be great? And he gets out of the car and he starts, who are you not to be the one who gets all the glory and all the medals and all the things and he's walking and it's so this, it's this exciting, it's building, it's building and then the world turns around and it's this video gaming world and he's conquering these video game worlds and then the thing that pops up is PlayStation. Greatness awaits. Like, this is what we think greatness is. I hear it all the time in my house. 
I hear it all the time. Dad, guess how many kills I got today? I got a dub, I got a dub, Dad. Like, I hear it all the time. Greatness awaits. As I've been running, I've been listening to the Chronicles of Narnia series again. And uh, as I was listening to the first book, The Magician's Nephew, when the white witch enters into our world, if you've ever read through this book, do you, you remember she had control of a world. Uh, these two kids end up in her world. Her world is completely gone. She somehow grabs a hold of them as they transport back into their real world. She finds herself in their world without any of her like ma- magical powers, but this white witch now stands among us. And so one of the first things she says As she steps into this new world, is she looks at them and says, Procure for me at once a chariot, or a flying carpet, or a well-trained dragon, or whatever is useful for royal and noble persons in your land. Then bring me to places where I can get clothes and jewels and servants fit for my rank, for tomorrow I will begin the conquest of the world. Sounds just like a baby when it comes into the world, too. Like, it sounds just like a child when they, they're born. Like, that's the way they live. Serve me. Serve me. Serve me. But what did Jesus say about greatness? What did Jesus say about position and power? This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can turn them on to Luke chapter 22. And just hold your spot right there. Um, last, this is the last week of Jesus's life, as Becca was mentioning. They were getting ready to have this meal together. Passover is happening. Um, Passover is a meal that celebrates Egypt uh, being, uh, uh, ha- having Israel living there. And Moses and, and the Israelites, they flee Egypt. They are rescued out of slavery. And so it's this huge miracle of God's grace showing up and rescuing these people. And so every year they were to, com- they were to remember this in, through a meal. And it was called the Passover meal. And it was the year, it's the way the Lord passed over them. And he spared them because the blood marked the doorposts. This is the meal they were getting ready to take part in. But at the same time, the plots to kill Jesus are ramping up. Like they are getting serious about how are we going to take this man out? And at the same time, one of Jesus's own has already set in motion a betrayal. He has already gone to the religious leaders and the Pharisees and said, for the right amount of money, I'll hand him over to you. I'll work with you, and we will see Jesus brought down. And at the same time, as this was going on, Jesus is desiring to eat this meal with him. Some of the original texts translate that Jesus desired with great desire. Like, he longed to have this meal with his disciples because he was going to be explaining to them the new covenant, the bread and the wine his body and his blood, this new covenant that Jesus was bringing in, this new community that would be formed around this person, Jesus is so excited about. And it is during this scene that we read these words. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 21. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. 
For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, say that, but among you, say it. It will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Say, but not here. For I am coming among you as one who serves. So the disciples swing all the way from being the worst to the greatest. The disciples are sitting around going, I would never betray Jesus. You might betray Jesus. I wouldn't betray Jesus. You, I'm not the worst. I wouldn't betray Jesus. Look at how great I am. Look, speaking of greatness, you know how great I am? Let's talk about how great I am. You know how to talk about how great I am? I'm great. 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 You're great. I'm the greatest. I would never betray Jesus. So they go from talking about, I don't want to be labeled as the worst. So let's change the topic. Let's talk about who's going to be the greatest. Like, let's talk about God's order of who should be in what ranking, in what position, Because we would rather not think about being the worst. Comparison is a killer. And it's even worse a killer when our measuring stick is crooked and broken. And the disciples did not understand what it meant to truly be great. I want to be very careful here and I want to try and help you filter how you might hear this. Some of you this morning will hear that Jesus is squashing ambition. Jesus squashed selfish ambition on the cross. Selfish ambition is a sin. When all we want is ours, 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 out for me, out for me. There is such thing as wrong types of ambition. Jesus is not squashing ambition here. Jesus is not squashing a desire to be excellent here. Jesus is not squashing a hope to be the best at whatever it is you do here. He is not squashing any of those things. So some of you in this room may be sitting going, well, I've got to be, I've got to be the, the scum of the earth. I can't do any of these things. I can't lead well. I can't be a, a boss one day. I can't, I can't be the person that hires people. I have to be the, the, no. In fact, I would hope there would be more of you with a healthy ambition to be in positions and places and seats of honor and authority, but you would see the model of greatness that Jesus says here. If you're sitting here going, well, Jesus said I can't be great, that is absolutely not what he said here. He said there is a version of greatness, the world's version, that is broken. Let's look at kingdom greatness and what it looks like. In Matthew chapter 20, he had this very same conversation because the disciples talked about this a lot, more than once. In fact, he says in verse 25 of Matthew 20, he says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. Listen, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoever wants, whoever wants. The problem is ambition, to do something really well, to lead others, these are all good things. But you know what's not good here? Our model. Our model is not good. Our model of what it means to do those things is broken. What the earth calls greatness and what Jesus calls greatness are not the same thing. The desire isn't what's wrong. The model is. Hear me out. There are things in this world that are broken. And they are not intended for the followers of Christ. This being one of the major moments in a disciple's life is to decide what does it truly mean to be great. Luke 22, 25, we're just gonna read it again. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, say that. It will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like servant. Um, uh, a couple years ago, I coached a third and fourth grade basketball team. And there was one kid on our team. He was, he was actually excellent. Like this dude has all the elements of a Kevin Durant type player in the third grade. Like just tall, fast, can dribble, can post up, can score. Um, but one of the things that drove me crazy as a coach is every time he scored a basket, he'd be like, every time. And this kid got to the basket a lot. So you're talking 15, 16 times a game. I'm King Kong. You know, it's like you're sitting there going, hold on just a second. Now, let's talk. There was a, I, so I had to pull him aside and I said, dude, look, you have got to stop banging on your chest. Okay? Here's the thing. You scoring the basket is already suggesting you're pretty good at basketball. Okay? Let's pretend like you've been here before, turn around, and just run back down the court, okay? But don't we want people to know we're great? Like, that's what we want. So not, the basket alone wasn't enough for him to communicate his greatness, he had to bang on his chest. This is what it looks like when I'm lording my authority, I am flaunting it, I am saying, look, that basket, if you didn't see that, you're gonna see this. You're going to see me banging on my chest. We are obsessed with being somebody. It is our generation, this generation, that has brought in more conversation topics on the goat than any other generation. All we talk about is who is the goat. It matters to us. It covers Every, every ESPN show, every Fox Sports show, every radio show, the conversation of the goat is always coming up. Now, the goat, for those of you, we're not talking about billy goats. We are talking about greatest of all time, okay? This conversation rules Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all over the place. But it's this generation has brought that conversation in more than any time before. Like even when Michael Jordan was dominating, it, that wasn't a conversation. Now it is. And we're consumed with it. 
Who has the best statistics? Who has more accomplishments? Who has more followers? Who has the strongest influence? But if Jesus is correct, I believe he is. D.L. Moody's understanding is a very different one. D.L. Moody was a famous preacher and speaker, and this is what he says. He says, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. Yeah. For some of us, that's like, mm. but I was so close to the top, Jesus. Oh, so close to the top. Why you got to flip it? We don't like this. But Jesus says it's your model that's broken. Will you keep looking to the world's model or will you listen to Jesus? This is not our normal. We would much rather have the servants than be a servant. We'd rather let the world know who we are than hear about who they are. And if you didn't catch the first way Jesus spoke this, he repeats himself for good measure. Verse 27, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Say, but not here. For I'm among you as one who serves. Um, I waited tables for about three years. Uh, any, anybody wait tables in here? Let's see. Raise your hands proud, y'all. If you waited tables, raise your hands, okay? Now, for three years, I waited tables. I actually enjoyed the job because of the multitasking and how busy it kept me. And I just got to talk with people. I, so I enjoyed my time waiting tables. Granted, there were terrible customers, but I didn't want that to ruin my life. It didn't have to. So, But here's the thing. Doing those things for that long, I realized why we want to be the ones sitting at the table. The first is, I had to care for the needs of others. I had to. I had to. Now, granted, I could have been fired and, and let go if I chose not to. I could have chosen not to, but I would have not had a job anymore. My job description was to care for the needs of others. I have to. There is no choice. I cannot decide. I'm not going to do it. They're going to get up and get their own food today. No, I couldn't do that. I had to. Secondly, I was not looking out for my own comfort when I was serving others. Do you know that? Do you know that while you're serving other tables and you are on the move, like, and I wanted, the more tables, the better for me. I was like, hungry, hungry hippo, give me all the tables. Like, there's a girl over there crying because she can't handle two tables. I want 20 tables. Give them all to me because I want them all. I don't have time to sit around and go, oh, my feet. No, I don't. I don't have time for that because I'm caring for the needs and the comforts of others. I had to. I also had to anticipate their needs before they even said they had them. We would rather be at the table because you know what that means? We're having to think ahead for them. We're having to look and we're having to look at what they've got and go, oh, their water cup's getting down. Oh, they're gonna need some more bread. Oh, they're, gonna, they're not even thinking about asking these things yet. They don't even know their needs yet, but I have to pay attention to those things. 
We would rather be at the table. But lastly, most of my time as a server was not recognized or acknowledged. And we hate that. Probably more than anything else. The people at the table don't really look at you and go, you were amazing. Sometimes they didn't leave you any money and they would leave you a Christian track. <laughs> they would give you that fake million dollar bill and you were like, oh cool, at least it's... You're kidding me, right? Like you just gave me a million dollar Christian track? But this is what Christians do in America, right? Instead of tipping, <laughs> we give tracks. Because that's so good. Coming from a table waiter, server, who's done it. If you leave a track, you better leave a $50 bill. I'm telling you, we get it wrong sometimes. And this is one of the ways we get it wrong. Most of the time, our work is never acknowledged as table servers. And I remember hearing somebody say, and I can't even give credit to who said this, but they said, how can you know when you have a servant-like attitude? And their answer is, by how you act when you are treated like one. How can you know you have a servant-like attitude? Well, when you're treated like one, you'll know if you have a servant-like attitude or not. There's a reason we'd rather be at the table than the one serving it. But who wants this? Who wants to be the one serving, but who in their right mind would also see this as greatness? Who would see waiting on the needs of others as greatness? Jesus. Sorry. Jesus. He does. And this is where we feel that tension, right? Do we lean on our own understanding? Or do we hear the maker's words? The one who knows our hearts better than we do, who knows every hair in our head. Do we hear him say, this is what greatness looks like? I mean, can you see Peter when Jesus asked, who's more important than the one, the one at the table or the one who serves? And Peter's like, duh, the one at the table, right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, yeah, the one at the table. And Peter's like, I knew it, the one at the table. I got an answer right. And Jesus is like, but not here. And Peter's like, but not here. <laughs> I knew you was going to do that, Jesus. I knew you was going to flip it. I'm following. I'm tracking with you, you know, but not here. Right, guys? See, I told you, everybody's like, Peter, shut up, man. Cut it out. <laughs> Jesus says, but not here. And here's the thing. The disciples did see a new standard of greatness because it was living among them. They were now aware just how different things really were. The disciples had a front row seat to true greatness. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. On the cross. 
Jesus was truly great. Jesus is truly great. He is not simply a good speaker. He is not simply a prophet. He is not simply a teacher or a miracle worker. He is God. The disciples were now seeing in front of them greatness, real greatness. There is no goat conversation when Jesus is in the room. Jesus is the goat. The conversation is over. There's nothing more to talk about. So we look at him and go, then what are you doing? What are you about? Where are you leading us? There's no more debate. Greatness has been settled and defined for us in the person of Jesus. He revealed this kingdom bent on serving one another. He served the lowest of the lows. Jesus didn't even humble himself to serve kings and queens. He humbled himself to serve the poor, the sick, the wounded, the, 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 the sinner, the tax gatherer, the adulterer, the prostitute. He served the lowest of the low. And that table dinner that he was having with his disciples, they weren't no dignitaries. These guys knew how to clean fish. These guys knew how to steal people's money. And he washed their feet. Jesus didn't even serve kings and queens. He served the least of these. And this washing of feet that Jesus did in the same scene would not be the only thing he washed. Through his service, he would wash away our sin. Every bit of it. Therefore, Jesus could say, but among you, it will be different. Greatness was not the issue here. Our model of greatness is. The disciples would take their lead from Jesus, who said, but not here. I am among you as one who serves. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is about a woman named Tabitha, or Dorcas, as some of my children like her prefer her name to be. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, we can just read it because it's a fantastic image of kingdom greatness. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. I believe the moral of this story is, do you serve so well that if you died, the people around you wouldn't let you? Do you serve and love others so well that if you died, the people around you would say, nope, we're not letting you die. Too bad. I know you may want to. I know you may want to go and be with the Lord, but we want you around. 
Kingdom greatness, it's different than worldly greatness. Tabitha is one who displayed kingdom greatness. And for those people that she helped, she did not lord it over them. She saw the needs. She provided for them. She cared for them. She embodied Galatians 5.13, which says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. People hear that word freedom and they go, I can do whatever I want. You're right. Here's what we do. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You are free as free can be. Guess what that means? You're free to serve. Free. Because you don't care what the rest of the world thinks about greatness because you've seen Jesus and you've experienced his greatness. That is kingdom greatness. Tabitha used her freedom to serve and in doing so displayed. But among you, it will be different. But not here. Because I am among you as one who serves. As the band comes and we close this morning, you might be here thinking today, well, guess I'm off the hook because I'm not looking to be the greatest at anything. I'm more okay with being mediocre guy or a world's okayest dad or just trying to get by. Or maybe you're thinking this morning, well, I don't want to be the greatest, but I definitely don't want to be the lowest. I would like to point out to you this morning that it is not the disciple's natural bent that is the point here. Jesus' declaration is the point. I don't care if you want to be mediocre. I don't care if you don't want to be the lowest. What we care about is what did Jesus say, model, live, and tell us we would actually be if we're his followers. We take our lead from him about who we are. We don't get to say, well, Jesus, I just, I'm none of those things. Jesus didn't say you had to be. Jesus said, I am all those things. And when we are consumed with that, things just start to change. Dale Moody again said these words, We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. I hope this morning that you will walk out of here knowing that if you walk out of here consumed with others knowing of your greatness, you will only use people. If all you are concerned about is people knowing how great you are, you will live a lifestyle of using people. But if you walk out concerned only knowing that people know of Jesus' greatness, you will serve people. Consumed with your greatness, use people. Consumed with Jesus' greatness, serve people. It's just the mark of the follower of Christ. The follower of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, don't argue about who's the greatest because we know Jesus is. (laughs) It doesn't get much simpler or plainer in explanation 
the goat conversation has been settled in our hearts. And where Jesus' greatness and his love reign, you will find servants of all. But when we're consumed with greatness, we'll never serve. We won't. We'll find ways to step on people, use them, and when we've found enough out of them, we've gotten what we can, we'll move on. When we are consumed with Jesus, we will only serve. This morning, Jesus didn't stop with washing the disciples' feet. As we go to the, t- the communion tables this morning, as we take the bread and we take this juice, it is a reminder that he did not only wash their feet, but he washed away their sin. When we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, we are declaring Christ's death until he returns. This bread and this juice, it doesn't, it doesn't make us any better than anyone else. It is a simple reminder that among us, It was very different because Jesus came as one who serves. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is our remembrance of that. This meal is a reminder and a remembrance that he has served us in the only way we truly needed. And now he has freed us to go and serve others the same. So when your heart is prepared and you are ready to go to the corners of the room, please do. But if you have not thought through this person of Jesus, if you have not considered Jesus and you do not know him, you know about him, but you do not know him, you are free to observe. This is a meal believers share. You don't have to go to this table, but you are invited, not by a good works checklist card, but you are invited by Christ himself to believe that he alone saves. Father, I ask that in these moments we would understand what true greatness really is and that disciples, your followers, your people look to you as our lead. You said, but among you, meaning us, it'll be different but not here. Why? Because you are among us as one who serves. Help us know that the models of greatness in this world are broken and that you brought the kingdom and you express to us, this is what greatness looks like. May we agree with you this morning. It's in your name we pray.